The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 19. Thank you, Minister Mike. Luke, chapter 19, we'll put it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, then you'll be able to read it that way. Luke 19, starting in verse 28, and we do have notes for you. Are you ready? On your marks. Not that it's a race or anything, but... Luke 19, verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going, to, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near Bethpage, Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here, verse 31. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Everybody say that. Because the Lord has need of it. Verse 32. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voices for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Verse 41, and as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come, verse 43, upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And then will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Whew. Holy Spirit, come and give us living understanding. Come on, just pray and ask God to speak to you today. Speak to us. Move in power. Ears to hear and hearts to respond what you would say to us today. God will be sure to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We do have notes for you. Again, let me remind you, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, is at the sports complex at 11 o'clock. 
all services combined, 11 o'clock, sports complex. So if you come here, it's going to be rather quiet, right? Sports complex. Please invite folks, reach out to people. And then the weekend after that, we will go to two services. And you can be a part of those at 9 and 11. This is a profound passage of scripture. I've entitled the message, Don't Miss Your Moment. I want you to say that. Don't miss your moment. Now make it a declaration. Say, Lord... I'm not going to miss my moment. Because there are moments of tremendous significance that have come in history. There are moments that have come in the history of nations, in the history of of peoples that change everything. The birth of Jesus Christ changed everything. His death, his resurrection changed everything. And this particular moment that we read about is profound in the fulfillment of Scripture. In fact, it is so profound. I'm going to walk you through just a section of it so that you can have your faith built and knowing that what we read from every day is not the, not the Reader's Digest. It's God's holy word Amen. written on three different continents, 66 different books that all line itself up. And the, the odds of the prophetic promises coming about already to date are beyond anything you can calculate. It's amazing. It's God's word. First of all, as Jesus... Our hero, our Messiah in this text is riding this colt. It's a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. Let me read it to you. Zechariah 9, 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. Gentle, riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. My goodness. And here we see a fulfillment of that. If you look in the book of Daniel, and I want you to put this up, please. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. What's amazing is in the text that we read, Jesus says, as he's weeping over Jerusalem, he says, if you had only known the day of your visitation, this very day. You can read different versions. But suffice it to say or understand this, that he's talking not about a general day. He's talking about a specific day in history. Put the scripture up, 9, Daniel 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand. Everybody say understand. understand. That from the, t- from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be. Now let me stop. Daniel, hearing from an angel, gets a time clock of when the Messiah is going to show up. That is what this text is saying. And so the angel is saying, now, no one understand. Everybody say, no one understand. That the Messiah is going to show up when, when this happens. Here's the time frame. And he says, from the going forth of the command. Everybody say the command. The edict, the decree, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until, that's a time space, until the Messiah shows up. And then he says, there will be seven weeks, 62 weeks. And he gives this time frame. And he goes on. It's a powerful prophecy. Now, here's the thing. We know when the command and the edict, the decree was given for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. We know when that is. You do? You really know? Yes, we, we do. We know from history. And it's in Nehemiah chapter 2. That decree is given. So the the tick, tick. The time, the clock starts clicking. And if you understand what he's saying there, and I don't have time to go into it all, although it is well worthy of looking into, you do the math, you can figure out actually when the Messiah 
would come and, and, and literally ride into Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, if you'd known this day, this very day. Now there's this guy, and you can look this up. His name is Sir Robert Anderson, a brilliant lawyer. And uh, he served for a long time as a director of England's famed Scotland Yard. He did the math, calculating the errors in calendar and so on and so forth. And we know that the, the, the decree, the release of sending and rebuilding of the temple was given on March 28th in our calendar. And there's Gregorian calendar. The calendar thing is is a whole study in itself. But given all of that, March 28th, 445 B.C., before Christ. Amen. And if you count forward, the date was April 6th, 32 A.D. If you count the dates... It's 400 and something years. Again, go, go study it yourself. 400, 432 years or something like that. I, I need to go look. Do you count the date from when the decree was given in Nehemiah 2, four, and you count forward, and you do all the math, you add that all up, it comes to 32 AD, April, April 6th. It's, it's the day, the day that Jesus is declaring that he basically is the Messiah. Come on, somebody say, wow. Wow. Kind of amazing. There's time clocks. God has a time clock. God has time frames. And he does certain things. At the fullness of, when the fullness of time had come, he sent Jesus. How many of you know that scripture? So are you ready for moments like that? I mean, are you ready right now? Do you know that right now, anything can happen right now? Anything's possible right now. In this, in this brief moment that we have, just another 30 minutes or so and service will be over. In, a, in this brief moment that we called time, are you ready for anything to happen? Because that is exactly where we stand in history. On the very precipice of the close of all time. I believe that. But I also know that the fullness of the Gentiles has not come in for all of you that understand biblical uh, scholarship and eschatology. We haven't seen that huge revival, but it it could happen. The great falling away hasn't taken place and so on and so forth. And I've preached on that at other times. But are you ready for moments like that? Are you ready for a time when God would come and reveal himself to you or do something in your life that you've never had happen before? Are you ready for a visitation? How to be positioned for God's visitation. Now, we do have notes, and if you don't have those and you'd like a set, just go ahead, lift your hand. We'll bring that to you. How to be positioned for God's visitation. How to be ready or how to be positioned for the God moment. When the God moment comes, how to be ready for that. We get this right from the text. First of all, verse 29, Luke 19, verse 29. Jesus operating in the Spirit gets a word of knowledge and says to the two disciples, you go ahead and put that up, Luke chapter 19, there it is. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethpage at the mountain called Olivet, he sent two disciples and he tells them, go, you're going to find the colt, the donkey, nobody's ever ridden on it. He gets his word of knowledge and he sends it to. Those two guys had no idea, I don't think they knew, that they were fulfilling Zechariah 9. I'm going to tell you that you are important to God. You want to know how to be positioned for the God moment? You got to recognize that you are not an accident. Oh, oh, your parents might have said that you were, but you weren't. Because God doesn't make any accidents. And he places you in history. In Acts chapter 17, he puts us in places and, and surrounds us that we might even call on his name. 
You're in, you're in have a place in history, and it's significant. These two guys are significant. They're important to the plan of even fulfilling Zechariah 9. You and I are important. Come on, somebody say, I'm important. Don't you let the devil lie to you and say that you're a nothing, that you're a nobody, that you, you go in your backyard and eat worms. Oh, you might feel that way at times, but feelings are deceptive. You are important. Say it. I am important. Come on, tell the person next to you, bump them and say, I am important. You need to know that you're important. You're not a chance accident in the chance universe and a product of the primordial sign. You are made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation is made in God's image. Just you, just me, just mankind. We're important to God and we have a purpose. You have a purpose. Say, I've got a purpose. I think there's some catchy little children's song about that. I have a promise. Remember that one? There you go, all you churchgoers with the flannel graphs and everything and the flannel boards and... You have a purpose. You're important. You have a purpose. And God's power can bring order to your life. Pastor, how did you get that out of the text of two disciples going to get a colt? Simple. Anybody ever work with horses? Very good. Has anybody ever ridden a horse that's never been broke? Very good. So you understand that the horse needs some order. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, if they're going to go and get a colt, the King James calls it something else. But if they're going to go, they're going to go get that animal, how many of you know it's, it's not all broke? It's not a tame animal. They're going to get this, 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 this colt and bring it to Jesus, and he's going to sit on it, and it's not going to buck him off. You know why? Because he made that thing. That's why all things are made through him and are held together by his mighty word. Can you say amen? amen. I'm thankful that God can bring order to our lives. Some of you used to be like a donkey. Amen. Some of you used to just be a wild, crazy, unbroke, self-willed, run riot, full of rebellion, doing whatever you wanted to. And you got Jesus, or should I say, Jesus got a hold of you. And he brought order to your life. I'm so glad that God's brought order to my life. I'm so glad for that. You know, animals are wild. I remember I, as I was preparing the message and finishing it up this morning, I thought of this illustration. When I was a kid, I think I was about 12 years old, and I was working for an Arabian horse farm in Long Island, New York, called Topping Horse Farm. It's an Arabian horse farm. I don't know if you know about horses, but Arabians are especially wild, like Arabians. Amen. And... You might get that on the way home. So we had this colt, we had this, uh, we had this stud. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, the animal was fearsome. I mean, I, you can't, I can't explain to you how fearsome the animal was. This stud had fire in his eyes. And now I understand why my wife calls me a stud. Anyway. <laughs> okay, just kidding, just kidding. Not really. Okay, so... I don't know where that came from. That's not in my notes. So, I mean, looking at this horse, you'd just be like, if you looked at the animal, you'd just like back up. You'd be like, snap. I mean, the thing had fire and passion. It was just an amazing animal to watch. It owned wherever it was. It was the ruler. You know what I mean? So I remember Bud Topping, a six foot three, six foot four, big farmer guy. Fingers like sausages and baseball mitts, you know. Big dude. And I remember him opening the gate to go inside to deal with this 
Arabian stud. And the horse charged at him and he didn't flinch. And it bit him on the shoulder. And when it bit him, he took his right hand and hauled off and punched that horse as hard as he could in the side of its head. It didn't even flinch and it ran him over like he was a little girl. (laughs) Right over him. Now, I was behind Bud Topping by probably 20 yards. And I was a fearless 12-year-old. Does anybody know what I'm talking Or stupid. Maybe I should say it was foolish. There we go. I was a foolish 12-year-old. And I thought, I'm going to stop that. I'm a, uh, and I lunged at the horse and I grabbed a hold of its mane and instantly spun off into the dirt. My brother, a little bit of a better athlete than me, was older and stronger, was able to wrap his arms around the horse and hold on to the mane. And I will never forget, I was laughing all by myself in my office, recalling the moment when my redhead brother grab a hold of that mane and he just lifted his feet up and that horse took off on a dead sprint all the way across that dirt parking lot and then my brother just ate it so bad and I laughed hysterically Jesus says to these two guys, they're important, they're fulfilling Zechariah 9. He sends them by a word of knowledge to a place that they didn't, you know, you're going to find a cult. They see the cult and they begin to take the cult and the thing doesn't freak out. They put Jesus on it and nothing happens. And furthermore, the owners come out, as is plural, the owners come out and ask, you know, what are you doing like you're stealing my, you're stealing my car? He says, the Lord has need of it. And you don't hear anything else. Kind of amazing. Come on, somebody say, the Lord needs me. me. Yeah, he does. He has need of you, and you have no idea the, the place that we have in history. History books are waiting to be written about a people who will understand that God wants to use you. History books are waiting to be written about a people who understand their purpose. This whole valley will be impacted if we could get a hold, even though we might be donkeys. God can touch this valley. Even next, even next Sunday, we could have a historic moment, a watershed moment. You say, how would that happen? Push yourself away from the things of time and tradition and reach to your neighbor. Get some of these tickets. Invite people. Let an urgency come upon your heart. It says, it says later that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in a second. But everybody said, I want you to say, the Lord has need of me. The Lord has need of you. You look at the second thing, how to position yourself to be in the moment where this God moment. First thing is realize that you're important to God. The second thing is praise Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Now, John chapter 12 is, again, the traditional text for Palm Sunday. And this is the, the Sunday before Easter is called Palm Sunday. And uh, that's why we have the palms, which you already talked about. But what's fascinating is this picture that unfolds as we read in John 12 and as we read here in Luke 19. It's a picture of how to praise God. Now, if you get offended at this next section in my message, well, don't get offended at me. The word of God offends. And if you find yourself, as we begin to look at the overlay of actually what it is to praise God, you might find yourself in a place that doesn't line up with that biblically. And we could have all kinds of Western reasons for that. But you will find that the way that they praised God was, first of all, a picture of how to praise God. They were joyful. Come on, smile at me. Smile. Smile. Let me see. Let me see the chicklets. Let me see. Smile. 
Listen, joy is the flag that flies from the heart of the man or the woman or the child who has Jesus enthroned. When you have Jesus in your heart and you're living for God, you will be filled with joy. You will have joy. You, you will have joy. And, and Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He said, well, how do you have joy when somebody died? Well, there is grieving, but weeping may endure for a night. Joy comes in the morning. Joy is something that is an attitude for a believer. Come on, you could be headed to hell. You could be in a wheelchair. Start being thankful. Come on, some of you look like you're baptized in lemon juice. Be happy. Come on, you could be dead. He saved you. He spared you. He healed you. Come on, somebody say hallelujah in the house of God. Yes, he did. He did. Look where, you look where he used to be. You say, well, I'm not where I want to be. But look where he used to be. Come on, you keep serving God. Keep living for him. Keep taking your thoughts captive. Keep growing in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Their attitude was joyful. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead just before that. Untold miracles. I mean, amazing miracles. And they're like, woo! Jesus is riding in on the donkey. And they really believed he was just going to set up his kingdom right then. Bam. They didn't really understand the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But they did worship God, right? It's a picture of how to praise God, an attitude of joyful. Their action, their attitude was joy. Their action was what? It was loud voices. Praise God. <laughs> loud voices, clapping, clapping. Clapping. Dancing. They were dancing. In John 12, they're waving these palm trees, which is a picture of revolution. The Maccabees use this as a picture of revolution. And they're waving these palms because they just believed that Jesus was going to take over right then. He's going to kick Rome out. He's done everything. He raised the dead. Old Herod can't do nothing about it. Rome can't do nothing about it. He's going to establish his kingdom. Bam. Yeah, he is going to. That was, that's not when he did it. He's going to come. He's going to split the eastern sky and he's going to bring world peace. Can you say amen? Yeah. How are you doing in your praise? You know, worship is, is, is key. You need to learn to worship. And if you're concerned about the person on your right and your left, well then maybe, you know, you're... And I, I think that we need to honor one another. I don't mean acting the fool to offend everybody. One of the things I love about our church is that there's a freedom to worship. And you will find that there's loud voices. There's, there's, there's clapping. All of this is biblical. There's dancing. Dancing? Look, he used to go out and all that for the devil, man. Why can't you? Now, don't be doing that up in here. Come on, somebody say. Everybody say, don't do that up in here. Okay, all right. Some of you are like, what's that? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't know, don't worry. We're just going to move on. But it's okay to move your feet. It's okay to lift your voice. Amen. I used to be concerned about what people thought about me. Then I realized and understood that there's really only two or three people that like you anyway, statistically, and that the Lord is the one who died for me. He's the one who set me free. And so I began to understand that tremendous, turn to Psalm 149, that there is tremendous power that's released in worship. And as they were worshiping, you know, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the couldn't sees, the wouldn't sees, religious people are trying to tell them, hey, tell your disciples to shut up. 
it's amazing how religious people want everybody to be quiet. If you're offended right now, you might just have a religious bone. Do you understand what I'm saying? The attitude of worship, which is very important, if you're going to be positioned for God's visitation, you're going to be positioned for God, this God moments that come. When is it coming? We don't know. I mean, any, any moment. I mean, there's a, his presence is here. He's omnipresent. I understand that. But there's moments where he breaks in. Psalm 149. We'll read it in just a moment. Verse 6, if you would. I had a lady in the first service at 8 o'clock, our final 8 o'clock service that we just had. She says to me, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And we hadn't seen her in church for a little bit. And I said, yes. Yeah. She says, I need to ask you about something. And I said, okay. She says, I was lying in my bed and we're going through a challenging time. And, and all of a sudden, I, I, was, I was kind of sleeping, but I kind of wasn't. And then I, I saw these clouds. And, um, and then a, a man clothed in white came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, I'm, I'm going to take you to heaven. And now when she's telling me this, the same thing that's beginning to happen to you is, was happening to me. That's called an inner witness. And she says, and I, I went and I, I was before this man that I couldn't see. He was so bright and I, I fell on my knees and he came to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he told me it was going to be all right. And I wanted to stay there. I had peace and joy. And instantly I was back in my bed. But my whole life has changed. I have joy. People ask me at work. And I'm, I'm looking at the lady and I realized, girlfriend looks different. She says, do you think that was God? I said, oh yeah, that was God. Now we do, have, we do realize that the d- devil comes as an angel of light. We understand all that. But the truth is, if when she's in heaven and she is on her knees before this man whose glory was something that she couldn't even look at, he wouldn't have let her worship her, you know? I mean, there are angels and and demons, there are, and I understand that you can be deceived and you never want to call out and ask for an angelic visitation. Don't do that. Seek Jesus and you might have one. Everybody say, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Don't ask for, you know, some cool angel thing. Worship God, and you might find that happening. Don't don't get all caught up in some seeking angels that have to talk to you. He's talked to you through the word, and, and you worship him, and you love him, and you adore him, and you might just have an encounter like that. But I've never, that's never happened to me. I've had some other things happen. Lord, if you want to do that for me, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Psalm 149. Let the high praises of God, the the Hebrew word is tehillah, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The tehillah of God. High praises. Tehillah. Everybody say tehillah. Tehillah is another word. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. The point is this. What's the definition of high praises? I will tell you right now, it is not... Lord, I love you, and you're great, God. I just come to worship you, and um, I thank you. Amen. I mean, it's, it's a braggadocious, braggadocious, off-the-chain, 
crazy shouting, hollering, spinning, dancing, clapping, everything you can do to praise God. That's what that is. Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but I I have been at places where I've experienced death. I've been in places where I've had an incredible amount of hopelessness and despair, and I've I've learned this. This, He'll train you to overcome. And if you can learn to lift your voice and shout unto God with a voice of triumph, you will have triumph. You will have victory. Because let's go ahead and finish this out of the Psalms. To execute vengeance on nations, punishments on people now, I believe is talking about the demonic, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all the saints. Everybody say this honor. This honor have all the saints. Praise the Lord. Now a saint, according to some denominations, is somebody that's voted in after a few hundred years of doing good works. But biblically, the word is hagios, is holy ones. It's, it's those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you've believed on Jesus, confessed your faults and your sin to him, believed that he rose again from the grave, then he wipes out your sin and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. For I might get excited in a second. First John, First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And what? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so here I am. Lord, forgive me. Oh God, I believe you rose again. Lord, I'm sorry. God, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Boom. And he translates you out of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And he washes you. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Now, now, come on. Cleanse from all unrighteousness. What does that leave? It leaves righteousness. He gives you an imputed righteousness. You're made righteous. Now, when you really understand that, you'll renew your mind and you begin to live out righteousness. Not some sloppy agape, some sloppy hyper grace message that allows you to just go and do whatever you want to and just not even ask for forgiveness again. That's nonsense. It's the, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God is accessed through repentance. That's how it's accessed. So that's like daily. When you learn to worship and lift your voice, that process there makes you a holy one. It makes you hagios, makes you a saint. Now, holy one is also used for angels. Is, is are y'all with me this morning? I'm trying to give you something to chew on. I hope you brought a steak knife. I'm I'm almost done. It binds and looses. This is a picture of how to praise God, exactly what they're doing there in Luke 19. They're shouting, they're hollering, and the, and the, and the Pharisees say, tell them to shut up. Look at this next point. The Pharisees are a picture of Satan attempting to stop our praise. And you'll, you'll see uh, blind Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him, hey, be quiet. You will see over and over and over again through Scripture, people who are genuinely crying out to God or worshiping God are trying to be silenced. I, I was in a church in Northern California. I was called to do some meetings there. And I went to a small little Pentecostal church. I went and the place was just... I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like if you raise your hand, they ask you if you want a question. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, it was like that. All right, and I understand that there's, I'm thankful for the body of Christ, please hear me. I'm thankful for those who, who don't believe in the spirit of God, but believe in the Godhead. As long as you don't destroy the Godhead, praise the Lord. All right, but, uh, 
But it was not the kind of, it wasn't the kind of place where you lift your hands and worship God. It wasn't charismatic church. Uh, it wasn't very, it was supposed to be by name. By name it was, but really it was pretty depressing. How many of you ever, you know what I'm talking about? Pretty depressing. So I'm worshiping the Lord in the front and I'm thinking, Lord, he says, I want you to go to your rent-a-car, get your CD. I knew what CD he was talking about. Bring it in, put it on the church stereo system and worship like there's nobody here. And I thought, oh no, Jesus. <laughs> that's not a good idea. God, that's not a good idea. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately my flesh like, oh, you're going to be ostracized. They're going to stone you. So, so I'm like, oh, I wrestled with the Lord a little bit and I'm about to be introduced as a guest speaker. So I said, I, I, I said, pastor, pastor. He says, yeah. I said, uh, I feel like I got to do something a little different. Is that okay? So oh, do whatever you want. I'm like, oh, he doesn't know what he's saying. Amen. So <laughs> I went out, I got my CD. It was morning star worship from years ago. Does anybody know morning star? It was, it was this insane worship song that was like, I don't know, nine minutes long or something crazy. I get the CD in, I get it, I come, I give it to the sound guy, I say, put this on, and um, I tell the guy, here's Pastor Daniel Bracken's going to bring the word to you. I said, um, I'm directed a little bit differently, so we'll just see what the Lord does, <laughs> you know, and so I told the sound guy, go ahead, play it. He starts playing it. I said, uh, turn it up, and uh, so I made him turn it up a little bit more, and then I'm like, oh, Jesus, and he's like, you know, worship me. And so I started worshiping God. Uh, I'm not going to show you what that looks like, okay? Because I don't have that word right now. That was the word I had then. I'm talking spinning, jumping, lose your mind, worship. Gone. Not for show, though. I wasn't, and, and I had to make that claim, like, Lord. And so I just started thanking him for what he's done in my life. And, and I'm not going to do that now. I start doing that. And what happens is I start getting overwhelmed at what God's done for me. I remember, oh, we'll go there a little bit. I remember how I, remember how I was lost and how I was broken. I had no place to go. I remember drinking out of a mud puddle. I remember what it was like to be homeless, sleepless, to be in despair, to see dark figures all around me. And I think about what Jesus has done for me and how he set me free from every yoke and every bondage. I can't help but start getting excited about what Jesus has done. He's the deliverer. He's a strong tower. There, I worked myself up. So it was kind of like that. Except we had this worship on and I began to worship him and it's been soon I forgot I was in church. And I thought I was just back in my, my home with my crazy wife worshiping Jesus. I mean that in the best of terms. <laughs> when the song was over, I'm sweating. I sweat through. It was a scene. I think people, some people left, I think. The pastor didn't stop me. I'm thinking, I never get invited back here, praise the Lord. So I looked out. Half of the congregation was weeping, and the other half was in shock, not quite sure what was going to happen. The power of God had descended on that place because of one crazy, bald-headed worshiper. Listen, if we, can, if we can get it, people beginning to worship God with all of their heart, I will tell you, you will experience the power of God in a way that you never have. But so many people are concerned about the opinions of their neighbor and instead of really focused on Jesus and lifting their voice. And we need to be honoring and we need to be sensitive. Come on, I've been whipped by a flag before. Anybody else been whipped? Not by you, praise God. But I... <laughs> 
Anybody else been, anybody stung by a flag? I have. I've had some stuff happen in worship. I've seen some stuff that wasn't God. It was totally the flesh. I've seen the flesh do stuff to, to make it look like worship. And I, it makes me want to get sick. And I think it makes God sick too. But I'm talking about a genuine worship for the Lord. The Pharisees tried to stop it, and the enemy will try to stop you. Why? Because Psalm 149 and many other scriptures declare that if you'll learn to have the high praises of God in your mouth, you will flat out kick the devil's butt all over your, all over the place, and you will walk in a place of victory and power that maybe you've never experienced before. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. All right, and then don't harden your heart. I've got to hurry. We're almost done. This is my first close. You ready? All right. Talking about how to position ourselves for the visitation of God, how to position ourselves for these God moments. One, realize that you're important. Realize that you're significant. Realize that God has a plan for you. He might even be using you to fulfill a prophetic word like these two disciples of Zechariah 9. Secondly, praise Jesus. Worship the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And thirdly, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Everybody say it. Don't harden your heart. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you this question. When is the last time you wept over a soul, over a person? Well, let me ask you another question. When's the last time you blushed? Do you know what blushing is? When's the last time something happened that it, that it made you flush or, or, or embarrassed or, or something for a moment? You know, that's a picture of purity. Did you know that? Okay, I'm going to go over here. <laughs> when's the last time you blushed? I mean, ask yourself, when's the last time you blushed? Wonderful. It's a sign of a tender heart. It's a sign of purity. It really is. When's the last time you wept? How is the condition of your heart? Come on, smile at me. It's going to be okay. I'm almost done. How's the condition of your heart? Are you hard-hearted? Are you angry? Are you filled with strife? The book of James says where there's envy and strife, there's every evil thing. Every evil thing? Every evil thing. Listen, some of you got strife in your house. You need to deal with that. You need to get it out of the house. You, you'll never have a move of God in a church that's filled with strife. I thank God that we don't have that. Amen. I'm so thankful that, that where there's unity and blessing, it's there, it's there that God pours out like Psalm 133. you got to have unity in your home. You have to have the blessing of God in your house. And if you allow for strife, if you have a hard heart, then they say, well, you don't understand. You don't understand what my husband did. Oh, knock it off. You're telling me that you walked on water, you Christ-like thing. You, you don't understand. My wife doesn't respect me. Oh, shut it. No, I mean, really, really. So you're telling me you've been like Christ. You, you've, been like, you've been like the crucified, resurrected Jesus to your wife. Because if you have, I will tell you right now, you, your situation will turn, buddy. How about you? Are you like that? I'm trying. I did dishes yesterday. Come on, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Three days in a row, resurrection time. I've done dishes. Glory to God. I know we do, we do like dishes and think that we deserve a trophy, guys. Our, our standard of points is just way different than the ladies. You're like, dude, you should have been doing that long ago. My point, listen, my point is don't let your heart go hard, for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard against a hard heart. Be tender. Be compassionate. Be long-suffering. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit against there is no law. 
Come on, you, you got to have the fruit of the Spirit. If, you, if, you, if we learn to act like Jesus, man, I'm going to tell you, we're going to change our valley. Come on, say amen. amen. Jesus wept, I think, for the souls that didn't understand their days of visitation. But look at verse 43. Luke 19, verse 43. This is profound. He wept over this city. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. Verse 44. And level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not, leave it up, know the time of your visitation. You'll get leveled because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, I've got to hurry and close. In the hand of God is blessing and judgment. And I don't care what anybody else has taught you. That is the truth of Scripture. And when you see he sends his disciples before his face into every city that he would soon go, they went and he said to them in an instruction, don't carry a knapsack, don't bring anything with you. If anybody stops you, don't answer them. There was an urgency. Go into the, go into the homes and say, peace on this house. If a man of peace is there, then your peace will return to you. Preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, and set the captives free. But if a man of peace is not there, shake your dust off of your sandals and leave that city and it would be worse for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment it'll be worse for that city than Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment the picture is this that when the gospel comes forth when the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again comes to you comes to me we have a choice of receiving it or denying it we have a moment of visitation and when we deny that because of blindness then actually it can release judgment and so what Jesus said is that you didn't even know the day of your visitation. And as a result, not one stone, not one stone will be upon another. You know what happened? Forty years later, 40 years later, it is exactly the fulfillment of a prophetic word. A Roman general by the name of Titus came. And he, he see, besieged Jerusalem. And though he told his, his, uh, his army not to burn the temple, they did it anyway. This is history. They burned the temple with such incredible heat. All the gold of the temple melted into the stones of the temple through all the cracks. And when it cooled off in their greed, the army of Rome pulled out every single stone and totally wiped out the temple, fulfilling this very scripture because they were looking for the gold. It's also a picture, if you don't mind me saying, a picture of dead, denominational, pharisaical religion. It never gets anybody free and it ends up destroying and trying to control people. You must know that we are living in a day Never before seen by the entirety of mankind in the history of mankind where the UN, I just read this, the UN just declared that Israel is, is the most uh, grievous in, in uh, human rights worldwide. You're saying, how can they do that? Very simple. There is a setup. I might freak you out by what I'm about to tell you. There is a setup for the Antichrist. Now, when this is all happening, I do not know. And I'm not worried about it. I'm going to love God with all my heart, with all my mind, my soul, and my strength. I'm going to preach Jesus Christ, Him crucified. I'm going to preach against the, you know, the sanctity of marriage. It's Adam and Eve. It's not Adam and Steve. Come on. Yeah. 
But you got to know the day that you're living in. And we need to be filled with love. And we have to have compassion. But don't, don't be blinded. The God of this age has blinded people from seeing the truth. Their eyes were spiritually blind. They missed their time. I'm back in the notes. They missed their time. Their eyes were blind spiritually. I was driving with my daughter, 15 years old. She just got her permit. We take a turn onto Seward Meridian, and we have a, a, a driver on our right-hand side, and I will not mention the gender. I have a large trunk. I have a, a Dodge 2500 Cummings. Big truck for a 15-year-old to drive. <laughs> Amen, and she's doing great. As we made that turn, this person came right up and hung out in the blind spot. It just, I mean, the, she, the person's there. I said, the person, the person is there in that blind spot. And I said, Hannah, you got a car on your right? And I know she couldn't see it, and that person just stayed there. And I said, this is what, this is what drivers that are unaware do. They hang out in the blind spot so that you, you won't even see them. You check your mirror, and if you're not aware of how to get rid of the blind spot in a large truck like that, then you're going to hit them. So I taught her that. I've had blind spots in my own life. And just like in a car, you can have blind spots and not understand where you are or what's happening with your kids, in your marriage, in your community. You could be blind. You know, the problem with blindness is you can't see. You know, the thing about deception deception is you're deceived. So you don't really know if you're deceived because you're deceived. Hence the word deception. I remember for years, my parents got divorced and I understood all of that and how that happened. And I, you know, I grew up. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s now. And <laughs> when I was in my 30s, I was just setting some things at peace in my heart about some of that that happened when I was at seven and eight years old. Just working through some healing, which is a good thing. And at that time, I'd have bet that I knew exactly what happened. Do you know what? As I grew, some things got revealed that I would have bet my life on the truth that was in my family. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that how it all went down and why it went down? Raise your hand if you understand what I'm saying. I'd have bet my life on what had taken place. The only thing is, God, thank God I didn't. Because just a few years later, I was totally wrong. And I realized, whoa, whoa, uh, Lord, uh, is there anything else I'm wrong about? You could have blindness. Go ahead. You could have a blindness. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the couldn't sees, the wouldn't sees were blind. Don't be blind at the point of history that we are standing in. Don't whistle Dixie while going over the Niagara Falls. Wake yourself up to the day, the hour, the visitation that we're in. Come on, wake yourself up. Don't be asleep in the arms of the enemy. Can you say amen? Don't do it. Stay open to receiving from the Lord. Roman numeral three, we're just about done. The result of missing your God moment is that you miss God's best. You miss God's best. I want God's best for my life. I want God's best for our church. I want God's best for you, for your family. Don't substitute. Don't, 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 settle, for, don't settle for something else. A good thing is not necessarily a God thing. You got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Come on, somebody. Don't miss God's best. His peace. His peace 
It's nothing like a peace of God. You can't pay for it. You can't buy it. And I will surrender my peace for nothing. It's one of the ways that God leads us. And lastly, when you miss the God moments in your life, you'll experience great loss. They say, what about the God of the second chance? Thank God. But, you know, even in the second chance, you might not have, you might miss the Kairos moment of fulfilling all that God has for you. Oh, he'll work it for good. I understand that. My life's surrounded by God working it for good. But there's moments that come and they come once. And if you miss it, it's a sad thing. And truth is, if you miss it and you deny the Lord, you know, if you never give your heart to Jesus, you can miss heaven altogether. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a few more moments and our service will be over. If you're not right with God, you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment to Him, if that's you, you know you're not right and you need to repent. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Do it now, right now. God bless you. Thank you for that. Anybody else, lift your hand. God bless you. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand, son. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see your hand all the way in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Just right where you are, pray with me. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, all across this place, for those of you affirming your faith and those of you who are giving your life to the Lord afresh or even for the first time, say, dear Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me new. I believe that you rose again from the grave for me. And I receive your forgiveness. Your new life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you, Holy Spirit. I pray God touch these right now. Come on, just let the Lord touch you. Touch these right now, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill. Fill them. Fill them right now, Jesus. Every bondage be broken. Blindness be lifted off. Expose any places in our lives, Lord, that displease you. Lord, let us be sensitive to the moments that come. We'd not just be skipping along in oblivion. God would be acutely aware of the time and the season, the day in which we live. We would not miss the day of visitation. These God moments where you break in and change everything. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. Let us be aware that we're significant and that we're important to your plan. Let us worship you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, God, for what you've done and what you're doing. Let us be in a place, God, where we never miss you. Let us not harden our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more thing. Every Easter, uh, every Resurrection Sunday, we take a, a special offering called a Resurrection Offering. And uh, I've got a video from our senior pastor, Dr. Morocco, in, in the islands. And I want you to go ahead and play that. Would you please bring your attention to the screens and dim the lights, if you would. Dr. Morocco, your senior pastor. And I'm excited about what's going to be happening next Sunday. It's Easter. As Christians, we celebrate the fulfilling of God's plan that began when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
The Jewish festival is called Passover, but it was on Passover God chose to deliver all of us from Satan's bondage of sin and eternal death through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and in his resurrection. He brought the possibility of new life to all. So every Easter, we at KC have a tradition. It is the resurrection offering. We will receive our normal tithes and offerings, but at the end of the Easter service, we will give a special Easter offering. Why? Because on Passover, the Jewish people gave a special offering, and God himself gave a special offering to all of us, his son. You will notice on the envelope the place to write what you are believing God will do for you. My wife and I are preparing a special gift for Easter Sunday as well. And we're going to write down on our envelope what we're believing God to pour new life into. And it's amazing to me that every year, miracles that we've cried out for take place. So come and be excited about this Easter. And come prepared to be blessed and to be a blessing through the resurrection offering. Amen. So here's what I want you to do. You just take this home tonight, today, and uh, you'll see on the back of the envelope. How many of you got one of these? All right. If you need one, would you, would you just lift your hands? Ushers, would you help us, please? We had these specially made. Now, over the years that uh, they've done this, I don't think here in, in Alaska we've done the actual 12 things, but they've been doing this uh, in some of our other extensions, and there's so many testimonies of answered prayer and breakthrough. And so we're going to participate. We're excited about it. So list of things that you're believing God for to bring new life. Pardon me, new life to. And there's 12 things. You take this home. You pray. If God would have you participate that, participate in that resurrection offering on Easter. And where is our Easter service? Menard Sports Center. What time? 11 a.m. 11 o'clock. All right, good. So you go ahead, take that. You pray over it and see if the Lord wouldn't have you do something special for Easter. Amen. Let's all stand up on our feet all across this place. I hope you got something from God. Happy Palm Sunday. It's going to be a glorious week. Amen. We'll have church tonight, 6 o'clock. If you've not been baptized, you've not followed the Lord in the command to be baptized, we have a little mini pool over here. And uh, I'll be baptizing folks. You, you need to come to the class at 5 o'clock here. Bring a change of clothes and something modest to uh, be baptized in a towel. And uh, sign up at that eye desk. Lots of great things going on. Did you get blessed today? Did God encourage you today? Take someone by the hand all across this place. Pastor Karen, would you come and join us up front here? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done. Cause your face to shine upon your people. Lift up your countenance towards them, God. Be gracious to us. Keep us. Give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.